We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another episode of The Road, brought to you by Blue Air. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. There is no John Ellis today, but I will be joined by two guests to help discuss two coaching hires that the Carolina Panthers have made, and we'll get into where we stand currently with the coaching staff. Uh, currently, the Carolina Panthers decided to retain offensive line coach James Campman and special teams coordinator Chris Tabor. There were a lot of rumors surrounding Campman and potentially going to Dallas where he worked under Mike McCarthy and Green Bay, but new head coach Frank Reich decided to retain him, which is probably a smart choice. I think Campman did a really nice job solidifying the offensive line and helping develop Ikemi Kwanu, so a good decision, and as you guys know, Chris Tabor has been a favorite of this podcast for quite a while, and uh, he did a tremendous job improving the Carolina special teams last year so uh, two decisions that uh, felt pretty easy to make and uh, we're glad the Panthers are following in that direction but to help preview two new coaches that the Panthers have hired one is Ejero Evero the defensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos and he actually interviewed for a position or the head coach position with this franchise but um, Vic Fangio decided to go to Miami and Carolina pivoted and in my opinion I think this is a much better hire than Fangio and I hold Fangio in high regard and I know I was being a little critical of you know some of the process issues that went on um, during our last podcast about why they're interviewing this defensive coordinator but in my opinion I think this is a home run hire I, I, don't, I can't really emphasize that enough I think Evero is an outstanding coach and you look at that Broncos defense last year, they were 10th in defensive DVOA, 7th against the pass, and 20th against the run. Uh, they were the second best third down defense in the NFL. And from an EPA standpoint, they were 9th overall in defensive EPA, and uh, that's 5th against the pass and 21st against the run. And we're going to be breaking down with one of our guests, Cody Alexander, too understand why some of those splits um, occur 
there's a lot of Vic Fangio, Prince Brandon Staley principles in their defense where they like to invite the run. Um, so we'll get into all that. But I just, um, I can't emphasize this. I think this is a home run higher, and it's even more impressive what the Broncos' defense was able to do given how poor their uh, offense was. And for them to just play at an elite level for the majority of the season, I think it speaks very well to Evero and how he was able to kind of mold a unit into his scheme. And I think this is, uh, we're going to get into personnel and who fits where and all that stuff in the off season, but uh, just getting this type of coach in the door, I think it means a lot. Uh, and the next coach we're going to be discussing is with Jeff Risden, um, who covers the Detroit Lions. Uh, it's going to be Deuce Staley. There, it has not been announced what role he will be taking, um, but I did see some reports suggest that uh, he wants to come back near home. I think he has his mother, lives in South Carolina. Uh, but another good hire, in my opinion, whatever role Deuce Staley takes up, whether it's offensive coordinator, running backs coach, assistant head coach, whatever, I think Staley uh, is just a very good leader of men, and he connects well um, to an NFL locker room. So a pretty strong start, I would say, for Frank Reich in building his staff. And uh, we'll continue to keep you guys updated as more news kind of trickles in. And to help us break down new Carolina Panthers defensive coordinator, Ijero Ivero, we are joined by former guest of the show, Cody Alexander. Uh, you can follow Cody on Twitter at the underscore coach underscore A, and you can find all of his work uh, at matchquarters.substack.com. Uh, I am personally subscribed to that Substack myself, and I think it's definitely worth it, not only if you're trying to learn more about uh, Ivero's scheme or Vic Fangio's scheme or whatever. There's just plenty of content uh, that you would find very insightful. Cody, how are you? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. So let's start here with um, Ichiro Ivero's scheme. And uh, I just want to be like, you are a Broncos fan, so you've seen all of their games this past year, correct? Yes, I'm I'm a huge Bronco fan. Uh, Dad grew up in Denver. I grew up in Kansas City, so I was like the one Broncos fan in my entire school. And so it just so it kind of ingrained in me anyway that I'm always going to be a Broncos fan. Um, so as we look back, like Vic Fangio was their previous uh, head coach, and he ran the defense for three years. And uh, Evero comes in. He's from. Uh, he worked in all sorts of different defenses in the past, whether it was uh, with Dom Capers or Wade Phillips or Brandon Staley or Raheem Morris. Um, what were you expecting when he joined the Broncos as their defensive coordinator? Were you expecting him to continue running uh, the Fangio defense or was there an expectation that he might want to have his own imprint on it? Well, with with Hackett being hired, I figured, okay, we're gonna get we're gonna get some sort of Fangio iteration from it. Um, didn't know what that was gonna look like. Was he gonna be a Staley guy? Was he gonna be a Raheem Morris guy? Was he gonna end up being more like Fangio? And and really, to be honest with you, there's there's several there's different branches off of this. Like if you watch the Vikings, and then you go and you watch the Broncos under Fangio. 
you're going to notice that there's a, either they're in base, which is three, four, or they're going to be a little bit more in nickel if you go 11 personnel or four open. And so nick, nickel for them is, is a four down. Uh, so I didn't know what to expect in terms of that. But then when I turned on the tape that first couple games, I was like, okay, he's basically running what Raheem Morris had put in uh, with the Rams. And as we look you know, closer at this defense, what are some like basic principles that they implement? Yeah, the biggest thing to me is the use of the the penny front or the penny package, which is the five one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did use a little bit more of that that kind of that that nickel package, that peso package, if you would that where you have two in- interior defensive linemen, which the Broncos had two really solid guys, uh, and then it was kind of a mixed bag with the edges. Um, but they had two decent workmanlike uh, linebackers, and so that allowed them to kind of bounce around uh, in between that nickel and that penny. Um, you know, a lot of times when you watch the Rams in particular, you're going to see a lot of, you know, that 5-1 alignment. That's kind of been their go-to just because of the personnel base that they have. And you can see that Staley, with what they did in the offseason this year, that's what he wanted to do uh, is kind of go to a more with two big edges you know, have workmen people inside, have that one linebacker, you know, and that's the other thing too, if you think about it, uh, you know, in the NFL, they collect receivers and edges uh, and, and the linebackers are kind of the running backs of the defense. Uh, so they're kind of kind of left, left behind, unless you got a Fred Warner, who's an alien and then you just pay him whatever he wants uh, because he's a, he's a, a eliminator on, you know, a terminator, whatever you want to call him on defense. Uh, but it kind of allows you to move cap space more towards the edges uh, in the secondary when you don't have to necessarily sit there and play a, play a linebacker all the time and pay him. Uh, you got one guy, you can kind of find a guy that fits that mold. So to me, it was more or less what did they have at, at, at Denver, and it matched really well with what that 5-1 was going to look like uh, from the Rams. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, one of the things that has kind of taken over the league over the past three years, and it's an article you wrote back in, I think it was during that COVID year in 2020, is um, the argument for a light box, which is essentially you want to invite the run so uh, you can still play that um, split safeties. Uh, did you see the Broncos kind of follow those same ideals as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've got the two, both those safeties have played in that system. Uh, Jackson and and Simmons have both played in that system now for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I thought he did that was a huge departure from uh, the system was he played a ton of press man uh, and he let those guys play man. And I've, I've argued this before with people, you know, and, and Saban has even said this, the best coverage in ball is cover one because you're eliminating everything. And, 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 and especially in the NFL, now they are, we are starting to see more quarterback run game, more, more kind of an option style with, with RPOs and things like that, but it still is a drop back league. It still is a protection league. And so to me, when you have corners, the way that the Broncos had, even the math, uh, the Mathis kid uh, from Pitt, you know, yep. he played in a press quarter system. Uh, he came from the Narduzzi system. So for him to come into the NFL and, and they turn to him and say, hey, you're going to have to you're basically going to have to press the whole time. It, that's nothing new to him. That's what he what he did for four years at Pitt. Uh, and then you have Pat Sertan, who is kind of a eliminator in his own right. He's one of the better corners in the NFL. So it, it, to me, when he came in, that's one of the big things that he did, did that was different. But 
You're still getting the two high safeties. You're still getting post-snap rotation in the secondary. Uh, and so to me, that was where he was a little bit different. He also was a little bit more pressure heavy. You know, that was the issue with the Rams this year is that they were so bad in the secondary that they couldn't they couldn't pressure with anybody. They couldn't blitz anybody. And, and Fangio and Donatel have kind of been very passive in the way that they they blitz. They don't, they're always kind of in that lower third of blitz rate. So that was one thing that he deviated from the scheme was press man. And then also uh, he kind of heated people up a little bit. So let's discuss that run defense uh, in particular with their personnel in the front. Uh, one guy I've always been really impressed with is Draymond Jones, not only just because he's a really good uh, pass rusher as a three tech, but I think his ability to hold up in the run game is kind of underrated too. Um, and when you look for players who fit this scheme, you know, it's, it's obviously going to be difficult to find this, those three techs who excel both in run and pass, but um, what are like the kind of mod or like the thresholds of size speed that you're looking for on the interior? I mean, really you need a guy in this system to work. If you have an Aaron Donald, that's fantastic. You have a Draymond <laughs> Jones, that's fantastic, but let's be, let's be real about it. Let's be honest. Do we, you know, those guys are kind of, you know, anomalies especially like uh with the, with the chiefs and in their attack you know so it's it's you know those guys don't come around all the time so if i had to pick you can you can kind of see what the rams did outside of ha- having aaron donald and then kind of what the chargers were trying to do is you need a you need somebody who is going to be able to press the pocket that they can win some one-on-one matchups and they can force double teams especially inside and when you have a three technique in particular, that's an outside shade. You also have an edge on the other side. You're trying to force that one-on-one matchup and you're trying to win those matchups inside. That's why a lot of times you'll see them on a shade and, and they're, they're trying to press that guard outside and they're trying to condense that open gap and really free up that inside linebacker. That's where this defense kind of wins is on the inside. They force you, if you're going to run, you're going to have to run in the A gap which a lot of teams don't necessarily want to run straight downhill right into that A gap. A lot of this stuff is off tackle or it's it's trying to hit these B gaps. Well, the defense eliminates that. Even in their nickel package, what they're trying to do is play a knockback technique. Essentially, I'm going to take the guard, I'm going to knock him back, and then I'm going to play gap and a half. I have a strength call, I have a, play, a, a way that I'm leaning, but if that ball bounces inside, I need to be able to shock shed and then get back to that ball. And that's that knockback fallback technique that a lot of these teams, at, especially at the power five level and then in the NFL, are trying to do with these inside guys. So they need to be the, the days, the old days of like uh, uh, Vince Wolfert, where you basically just you're kind of a, a, a boulder sitting in the middle of these A gaps and, and movable objects. These guys have to be able to move because you also have the wide zone element of offenses now. So they have to be able to not get zoned by a guard, be able to hold the point of attack. But then when they do get zoned or they do get gap scheme, not to get washed. And then also to play off what, how that guard is trying to react to them. The um, I think the chargers uh, 69 uh, Sebastian Do- Joseph day. He's a really good. Um, he's kind of like your modern player in this game. And then and that's why he went from like the Rams to the chargers. this off season. Um, yes. Uh, so w- with that said, a lot of teams, especially, you know, they're implementing the Fangio system, but there's a lot of NFL offenses that are looking to, um, you know, bring in the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan offense. And so when you have 
when you're running like the these this wide zone system from a condensed set, does that too high sh- shell kind of protect um, the linebackers and even the safeties from kind of reacting? Uh, whereas if it's just like you know your typical cover one defense and they're running all over the place, they create you know huge holes. I mean, we saw that in the uh, 49ers Seahawks game on McCaffrey had like a 60 yard run there was no one touching him. So right. do you feel like that also kind of prevents? those type of offenses from establishing their base principles. Yeah. I think with the two high shell, especially when you get condensed formations, the two high shell allows you to apply leverage. So regardless of what you're going to play against that, whether it's going to be a, a cover three look, or it's going to be a cover two look um, you, you are going to be able to have that, those safeties working top down. I've always said that it's easier to play down than it is to play back. Uh, And one of those issues with those condensed sets that these teams create is if you are going to get in a single high alignment and you're going to show it pre-snap, you've got all those guys tightly in the box. And all you have to do is really just chip a couple of those guys. And especially if you have a running back, uh, like again, a a Christian McCaffrey, he can, he can seem you really fast. And that's kind of where it comes down to is if you're going to line up in that single high alignment, they're either going to take advantage of, of you with condensed sets and try and hit you outside, or they're going to use the the limited depth of your DB that's down, your down safety, and they're going to try and run crossing routes behind him and force you to suck up with that play action and then hit you over the top, which is what we've seen really from a lot of these offenses is it's fake the wide zone, have the quarterback pull up, and then throw the ball, which again is why – the Fangio system runs the too high shell. Now, too high doesn't mean cover two. It just means that you have two safeties on. You have right. two safeties that are high. And then that post snap movement. I mean, think about it this way: um, if I'm facing forward, I'm the quarterback. I'm looking out there. I see a too high alignment. Okay, when I have to give a a blind fake from off of what uh, wide zone. I'm completely blind. That's why it's a blind fake. I have no idea what's going on behind me. So as I fake the ball, when I turn around, I have to then recalibrate my my worldview of what's going on in the field. I have to then get my eyes back to my safety indicator, whether it's the weak safety or the strong safety, however their offense has decided that. So now I have to process all of this while I'm got edges that are rushing right at me, which is what this system and a lot of these NFL teams are doing now is they're not even having that edge anymore chase the ball. They're having them go directly to the quarterback for these for this reason. So now I have to recalibrate my worldview of what's going on in the field. But then I also have an edge in my face at the moment that I'm trying to do that. And so that that stress is what causes this defense to be so great is that quarterbacks just have a hard time against it because they're constantly having to recalibrate post snap. Yeah. I think um, that playoff game, I know the chargers blew that lead, but uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence really struggled because he couldn't decipher the manner zone. I think the one interception that Samuel had looked like they were in some type of man coverage before the snap. And then they, or excuse me, zone before the snap, and he just, or man before the snap, and he came into zone, he just looked like he was in trap coverage almost and just picked it off. And, um, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's, um, not only is it just beneficial for your defense, but I think it also kind of protects your linebackers too, in a way. 
Um, and one of like the popular concepts uh, that teams run off it is that deep cross. And do you think like, you know, th- those safeties when they, you know, execute that, whether it's a weak rotation, um, that concept or that route is going to be in some ways eliminated uh, by this style of defense. Right. You, what you're doing is you're putting, you're putting a defender in a, major stress point for the defense. And so the offense now has to go somewhere else. I mean, we've seen this now for two years is that defenses are essentially forcing the offense to throw five to 10 yards or lower. I mean, that's why, you know, San Francisco, everybody calls them the yak boys, right? Like everything's yards after catch because everything is low and then they're getting their athletes into space. Now he's, he's modified it. But if you were to ask any offensive coordinator, they would love to be able to throw deep and outside or deep through the middle and get these guys running. I mean, that's what Tyreek Hill has basically killed people. And and he's kind of the one alien in this whole thing of that it doesn't matter what coverage you're going to run. He's so fast that you probably don't have somebody that's, that's going to be able to catch him regardless of if you leverage him. But that has been one way to eliminate him in the passing game is to take a safety and kind of nail him down opposite of wherever he's aligned and then kind of play, you know, get a head start on that instead of putting a linebacker trying to run with him on a deep crossing route. For sure. Um, So against the run, they do utilize those penny uh, looks, as you said, and I've I've seen them. They they really have some crazy, uh, at least the Broncos last year, they had like four defensive tackles in on the game at one point to just to counter this. But um, is that sort of one of their methods uh, to kind of, stop the run is implementing the penny uh, scheme. Yeah. And I think too, one and going back to kind of what you said about uh, Evro kind of putting different guys, that's another thing that I thought he did so well last year was taking what he had on the defense. And then like, like you said, lining up a defensive tackle as an edge uh, and having at times, you know, yeah, they've got five down linemen, but, to the strong side, they're going to have a D tackle. So you have, you basically have four D tackles in there or big D ends, you know, not edges. You have D ends and D tackles in there. And then you have one edge opposite for, you know, cutback quarterback reverse. Right. Uh, and so to me, what, what the penny package does is it is great against zone because you've eliminated the B gap bubble. You're forcing everything to the A gap. You're funneling everything to the safety and the, and the linebacker, and you're keeping him free because you have five on five. Your five offensive linemen are covered with my five defenders. So you, you have to essentially man block everything. Now against gap scheme, what he does is he will change the front depending on what your gap scheme is to help him with angles, whether that's keeping a weak nose and letting that edge kind of fold back inside or putting the nose strong uh, and kind of eliminating some of the ways that you can block back uh, and kind of keeping, keeping things free front side. So when you do pull uh, you can't get up to my linebacker. And that's where I think Raheem Morris and then Evro are different is the way that they structure that front. It's not a bare front. It's not a three Oh three. It's not a four Oh four. It's not the tight front variation of this that you see from Staley so much. They do more or less hard edges. So they're getting in these outside shades, inside shades. And really what it is, is it's just strong Eagle or weak Eagle. It's the old, you know, strong Eagle, weak Eagle defense. You're just moving the nose to kind of get what you want. And that's where I think the beauty of this scheme lies is that because I put five defenders on the line of scrimmage, uh, 
you can't get up to my linebacker. And so we can play him in weird positions. I mean, sometimes it's just wild. You are you have in three-by-one sets, I mean, that linebacker is completely plussed to the three-receiver side. There's Sometimes there's it's a zero box. It's literally a 5-0 look on, on an early down. And you're like, how are they able to do that? But if your nose can play and compress that center and, and close both those A-gaps, it helps your safety play high as long as possible. And then your Mike linebacker is free to fall back once he determines whether it's run or pass. And, and that to me is why that penny package is so vital for these defenses and why it's popping up all over the NFL. What were your thoughts on the linebacking core, the off-ball linebackers, that is? Uh, it seems like Singleton was pretty effective as a pass defender, but uh, I did notice a few times that he kind of um, would get uh, – he had some struggles against the run. And, and in my opinion, I think Josie Jewell is one of the more underrated linebackers. He yes. can do it all. Um, but what were your thoughts specifically on Singleton and just the work of the linebackers within this defense? Yeah, they're they're workmen. I, I you know you go and you look at the Chargers with Tranquil, a workman guy. He's not sexy. He's not a. You're not going to pay a bunch of money for him if he disappears tomorrow. You're probably like, okay, we can we can manufacture somebody off of that. Uh, Josie Jewell's kind of the same way. You kind of look up and you're like, well, how how have they not found somebody to replace him? You know, he's not going to be super athletic. But what you can what you need is somebody that can play leverage and then read read off of what the quarterback is doing. So it's more of a cerebral position, uh, a workman position and not necessarily somebody where you're trying to delete or uh, tight end or you're trying to, uh, you know, run through the middle of the field like San Francisco does with Fred Warner. You know, Singleton to me, again, is one of those guys who is again, he's just good. Uh, he's not going to be solid. You know, he's not going to be above average. He's not going to be a pro bowler. You're not going to use him to go and, and blitz the quarterback. He's not going to have a ton of tackles for loss, but he's going to get the guy down. You're going to play to, to to see another day. And I think that is what this offense is predicated on. It's forcing the offense to go on long drives, which means more than likely you're going to make a mistake and you're going to throw us the ball or you're going to run a play uh, that is not conducive for your offense to keep moving forward. And we're going to get you behind the chains. And once we do that, now we've got you in predictable situations and now we can do some funky stuff on third down. But when you look at Singleton, to me, that's what it is. It's just he's a workman. And that's what they need in these linebackers in this. Is Again, just same same way with your nose. Same way with your with your DNs. You need guys that are willing to work that you don't necessarily have to put a lot of, you know, cap space into because you're going to pay your edges and you're going to play pay your secondary players, especially at safety. Yeah, and I, I think Carolina does have a pretty good starting point with their uh, secondary, in, in my opinion. I think obviously J.C. Horn has got to stay healthy, but I'm not going to debate whether he's better than or worse than Sertan, we've had those conversations leading up to the draft, but I think he is that type of player who can eliminate that one side. And, um, and I also think that, you know, Carolina has to probably look for a few more edges opposite of Brian Burns. I think Marquise Haynes did a pretty good job, but um, it, it, it's, uh, it's going to be still a work in progress uh, there as well. Uh, but let, let's transition, you know, as we conclude here to uh, a new term that's kind of been, you know, filtering throughout the NFL Twitter circles. I've seen you post it. Uh, the Honest NFL account has been posting it. It's 
magic. Uh, it's a 5-0 rush, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, it seemed like the Broncos really like to use this, uh, whether it's a pressure or scheme. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, so what I liked about what Evero did in this, uh, and and he would put an edge inside on, on a guard, uh, and he did this a couple of times. He would either widen him out and isolate the guard and pass pass pro and really make him work width wise, make a guard turn into a tackle. If you, and, and at the NFL, that is a big deal. It's not like in college where you can kind of move guys around, um, you know, guards are more run blocking. Right. Uh, and all magic is, is we're going to have an inside stunt, single gap stunt from your two interior players moving in one direction. And in that direction, that other inside player is going to then loop around. And because we have a five Oh front. Okay. That means we have five defensive. We have five defenders on the line of scrimmage and we don't really have a back behind. Now, if you have a running back in, in, in the core, you're going to have somebody stacked behind them, but they are responsible for that running back. And so what this does in man blocking, what's the best way to defeat man blocking? Well, the easiest way to do it is just my guy's going to beat your guy. Uh, if you know a matchup or if you know that guys like to really latch on to other uh, these defenders, they, you know, you've got good defenders or in hard movement, they're really going to latch down on those guys. That's when you want that's this looping stunt. So as I have two guys going in one direction, we're really setting picks against the, the uh, guys on the opposite side as that defensive player is going to stab his guard and then rotate all the way back around loop back around and usually what you have is an edge running a really deep cop which is a contained path think of it like a fish hook and then that's where you want that quarterback to see that space step up and then boom right there is that looping defender that comes back across so it's a three-man game inside with two edge rushers outside and what I've noticed, I posted a screenshot of this last night, is he really likes to line up defenders all over the place. There there was even, I think you posted this uh, screenshot of like Randy Gregory lining up like way off the ball. And, you know, he's in my, maybe you can kind of expound on this. So what is he looking just to just create like matchups on these third downs when he's where he's lining up like Benito inside or Gregory off the ball and Draymond Jones is like as a wide nine. Yeah, I think it, it's twofold. One, you're trying to give a different look every week so that the NFL teams, you have to then, you can't figure out what is the expected pass rush of this. Okay, if I get this, who's coming, who's not, who's dropping? Um, are they sending everybody? Are they not? Um, and then when you move guys around, what he's doing is he's saying, okay, who, where, where's the donkey, the quote unquote donkey, where's the worst offensive lineman. And then we're going to just hammer that as much as we possibly can, because we know more than likely we're going to be able to win that one-on-one, or I'm going to manipulate it because he over pursues and pass protection, or this guard isn't great in space. I thought they did an excellent job against uh, the Texans early in that game where they were doing wide alignments. So we would get a wide five and then almost a ghost nine. I mean, those guys were so wide. But then what they would do is they would hammer inside, forcing that guard to fan out. So your tackle is going to fan out. He's used to that anyway. That's why he's playing tackle. He's good at pass pro. He can fan out. But that guard is not great at fanning out. He's not great in space. And so what you're doing is exactly what the offenses are doing to the defense. We're trying to get your weakest defender in space, right? That's what the offense is doing. So what the defense does is say, we're going to take your big old guard that can't move real well, and we're going to fan him out, and we're going to use that. And so by doing that, now you've got 
got guys like Randy Gregory or Benito who are super quick twitch. We're going to move them inside. And now your guard, who's kind of a lumbering dude anyway, is going to have a hard time handling that one-on-one with an edge. So all that really is, is again, it's a matchup, but also if I change the look every week, but we run the same path, it doesn't do anything for the defense. The defense still knows what's going on, but for the offense, they have to now figure out where do they want to do the protection. And once you figure that out, then you open up your, your playlist and you can now run all your other things from that same look. Yeah. I mean, it certainly helps when you can, you know, add coaching on top of like just the personal advantages that you can have on a defense. But um, Cody, I really appreciate the time. Thank you again for coming on and just helping us break down everything about uh, Ejero Evero and his impact on the Broncos defense and some of those uh, main principles, um, whether it's against the run or against the pass. But uh, is there anything you want to plug before we sign off? No, you know, I've got tons of information on either matchquarters.com, which is where I keep my archive and, and everything else. But then also on the Substack, I'm, I'm posting weekly, you know, trying to do twice a week. I cover college and, and NFL, uh, kind of keeping on what are the trends, what are things going. I mean, back, like you said, two years ago during COVID, I was writing about the light box uh, before it kind of became became really a, kind of a fad. Um, I've, I've got six books on on defense, if you're interested in that. Um, and anybody, you know, I, I try and write everything in the way that I make the complex simple and so that everybody can um, kind of understand it and grow in knowledge of football. Because that's that's the most important thing to me is is kind of teaching this beautiful game. And that's kind of a passion of mine. So I appreciate you having me on here and being able to plug my stuff. Yeah, for sure. And everyone, again, that's you can find them on Twitter at the underscore coach underscore a Cody. Thanks again. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. We are now joined by Jeff Frisden, who writes for Real GM and is the managing editor for The Lions Wire. Uh, Jeff, how are you, sir? It is good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yes, former guest on this show and uh, happy to have you back here to discuss the Panthers' potential hire of Deuce Staley in an unspecified role. Uh, I just want to get your perspective on Staley as a coach as you're close to the team. You've probably seen him coaching in live action, whether it's at training camp or regular practice during the season. Uh, what type of coach like is he and how do you think he kind of connects with players? Yeah, so if you watched Hard Knocks at all, they did a pretty good job of capturing who Deuce Staley is. He's a guy, he is intense. Uh, and, and again, if you remember him as a running back, he was like that. Like, he's a guy that was always going to, you know, like like scrap a little bit. He's just scrappy by nature. That That's who he is. That's his personality. He's going to poke at you. He's going to, you know, um, push you. He's going to be hard on you. But at the same time, he is also a guy that, like, when you do well, he's going to let you know that he appreciates it, too. Yeah, for sure. And what kind of impact do you think he had on this Lions team as they kind of uh, went through this rebuild? And they certainly seem to be coming um, some positive light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I think one of the best things that he did was was he was somebody that that uh, Dan Campbell could bounce ideas off of. You know, Dan respected him. Uh, I think he he shared the same sort of offensive vision for the team. You know, they want to be powerful, but they also want to be fast. And uh, he did a pretty good job of cultivating the running backs and integrating them into that. Uh, I, I think as a running backs coach, 
I'm not sure how successful he was as a running backs coach, to be honest with you. I think uh, a lot of it was more about like his role as the assistant head coach. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's an interesting move that he left that. Uh, but I, especially since we don't quite yet know what he's exactly going to be doing in Carolina, that's kind of, kind of fuzzy, but I, I think he his ability to, to, uh, I don't want to say like rebel, but like to push back if like he's not afraid to like if he doesn't like an idea or a concept for the offense, he's gonna be like, hey, I don't I don't know if, I don't know if I like that. And you've seen teams where they don't have that and they get goofy. And I think that he's a good like checks and balance on that sort of thing. If that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm just gonna reference something that Justin Rogers from the Detroit News reported. He said that. Uh, Steely wants to be close to his mother who's dealing with health issues. And I think he reported that a week ago when the news first came out. So, um, and I think he's originally from South Carolina. So that can kind of make some sense as to why, um, you know, he's heading in this direction. And uh, let's stick to the running backs here real quickly. Um, you know, there was a lot of hype with DeAndre Swift over the years, not only from the fantasy community, but he was a high second round pick, albeit from a previous regime. And, um, you know, as you saw the Lions this past year, it seemed like Jamal Williams seemed to be their bell cow back. Um, and I saw it on Hard Knocks too. It it seemed like Staley was pushing Swift to try to become like one of the, you know, to reach his potential. Um, do you think that was just maybe, you know, just not a good mix for the two of them? Or because obviously Jamal Williams played really well. Even Justin Jackson, a guy I've always liked coming out of like Northwestern, he's did, had some good moments too. Um do you think that's just maybe like you know the disconnect between the two, or was there some type of you know maybe Swift wasn't uh, you know reacting to coaching as well? Uh, I they're oil and water. Uh, it, it's pretty much that simple. Uh, <laughs> uh, Staley Staley is a guy who's going to coach you by challenging you, and mm-hmm. Swift is not a guy who likes to be challenged and doesn't respond well to it. Uh, the the biggest thing with it is that. Deuce, as a running backs coach, is very big on going where the play is designed to go. And and in a blocking scheme, especially outside zone when the the Lions ran that, like you've got to know, you've got to go to the right hole, otherwise you're going to be wrong. DeAndre Swift is not good at that at all. And it it didn't just bother Deuce, it bothered a lot of the, the coaches on the team. That's one of the reasons why Swift doesn't get a lot of run. Also, one of the reasons why he's going to be overrated in fantasy again next year. So put that parenthetically. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's a case of like they just weren't a good combination, man. And it does it doesn't happen with that happens on every team. You know, you've got coaches that just don't reach the guys. Uh the Lions fired Aubrey Pleasant in the middle of the season because he didn't necessarily have the right coaching style for the cornerbacks that he was coaching. And uh things got better after that. So I wonder about Swift with that, but like with the other running backs, he was very good for Jamal Williams. Pretty pretty effective with Justin Jackson. Was very effective in getting Craig Reynolds to you know be the guy that you know was was sleeping on his couch watching Netflix to being a, a guy who started a game and ran for over 100 yards. Like for as much as as people want to you know slam Deuce for not working with Swift, he's got a lot of success with some other backs, specifically guys that like to run between the tackles. That that was where Deuce was at his best. And I think that's where you're going to see uh, 
him work best with the running backs that are in Carolina, assuming he works with the running backs. I I should probably not make that assumption. But, <laughs> uh, but no, I think it's it's also a pretty good mix uh, with Frank Reich, who seems to be much more of a soft kind of guy. He's not going to get in your face. And uh, I think it's, like you said, a good checks and balances where Staley's going to provide a lot of the emo- emotion and uh, visibility. I mean, do you kind of see it working that way? Yeah, and and Deuce does not mind being the bad cop in the good cop bad situation. And uh, he's worked with with Frank before, so you know there's some familiarity there from their time in Philadelphia together. So it, it's clearly a move where Deuce wasn't looking to leave unless you know obviously his, his mother's situation. Uh, that's real, by the way. Um, I'll verify what Justin, uh, my colleague, said on that. Um, it wasn't like the only reason, but it certainly was was part of it. And I think you know his familiarity with with going where he could. Uh, you know, familiarity with with Frank and and you know the area, I, th- I think certainly makes a difference too. Well, Jeff, thanks again for just coming on. We want to get a brief, you know, kind of synopsis on Coach Staley and uh, Jeff. What are you working on now? Because um, I'm probably going to bother you to come preview the draft sometime in the next couple months too. So, yeah, we are sorting through all sorts of stuff. Uh, Lions draft related. I'm putting out uh, player scouting reports, uh, profiles more than the in-depth scouting reports, but they're written for the Lions. But if you understand what your team is looking for, you can read off of those too. So we got a lot of those coming up and just trying to figure out who's going where in this draft. It's it's a great mystery at the top from with both of our teams, Carolina and Detroit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on with either team at the top of the draft yet. So it's, it's kind of a fun time. Both in the top 10, both rumored you know, to be potential quarterback suitors. Who knows at this stage? It's February 7th. But uh, you can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Risden. And again, a lot of great draft intel and scouting reports, a tremendous resource for the NFL draft and, of course, the Detroit Lions as well. Jeff, thanks again for joining. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.